0: Big hello to the best listeners on the internet, and a warm welcome back to another episode of City Champions, proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Uh, Happy to be home here for a few days after traveling last week. We were away in Vegas shooting our next documentary on Michael Bisbing, who is the former middleweight champion of the UFC, as well as the league's first British champ and current commentator and analyst on TV for the league. Um, It was an awesome week of filming, Uh, we interviewed some big, big time UFC people, uh, the likes of Rashad Evans, Misha Tate, Ariel Helwani, uh, UFC president Dana White, the man himself, and my personal favorite and podcast heavyweight of the world, Joe Rogan, uh, which was just an absolute dream come true. Uh, We've got a big trip to the UK coming up next week to visit Bisbing's hometown of Clitheroe and also check out the UFC in London. Uh, which he's working at, so if you want to follow along uh, and keep up with the project, make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at BuiltForThisDoc, that's at BuiltForThisDoc. Quick message here from our presenting sponsor, ATB knows that being an entrepreneur and business owner has its challenges, that's why they've created the Entrepreneur Centres. So whether you're dreaming, building, or growing, you can access a powerful set of tools to help your business and personal finances grow together. With locations in Edmonton, Calgary, Grand Prairie, and Lethbridge, and monthly pop-ups across the province, it's just one more way ATB is helping to reinvent banking. Visit atbentrepreneurcenter.com to find the location closest to you. So My guest this week is a very bright guy who I am happy to have met recently, and I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation we had for the podcast here. Emmett Hartfield is the owner and founding partner of Intelligence House, which is a real estate research, marketing, and sales company that collects and compiles the latest data in order to help developers better understand where the market is going. Emmett and his team are changing the game of residential real estate development by replacing the same old, always-been-done-this-way approach to development with statistical analysis and big data. I'm not going to attempt to explain it any more than that, just simply because Emmett does a great job on the podcast of explaining the company. But believe me when I say it's legit. Emmett is another of Avenue Edmonton's top 40 under 40. Uh, He's a wicked smart guy in a number of fields. Uh, In the podcast, we cover residential developments in Edmonton learning lessons from great cities around the world, current issues millennials, me included, are facing when it comes to owning property, and the vast potential Edmonton still has to continue developing into a world-class city. I highly, highly recommend this episode for anyone curious about real estate in our town here. Uh, but for now, without any further delay, I give you Emmett Hartfield. Emmett, thanks for joining me today, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm very good. As we were saying before we started, life kind of moves fast, and, cool. and uh, I appreciate you making the time for me, especially because my travel schedule has been so crazy, but having you today allows me to uh, maintain my release schedule, so I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I, uh, I'm continuing a trend now of having um, Edmonton Avenue's top 40 under 40, the second guy in a row that I found from that list, and you continue the trend of being guys that make that list like way before even close to 40. You're 32 years old now, we're sitting in your office at Intelligence House. Um, In your own words, what is this place about? Uh, So Intelligence House was formed uh, in
1: terms of an integrated business model for the residential development community. And what our business provides is Three service pillar offerings what we do is we do statistical analysis uh, for residential developers on a very granular level um, so the world is moving more and more towards big data mm-hmm. uh, and analytical perspectives on how to make sound decisions in order to mitigate risk mm-hmm. and real estate um, for a very long time and, and still very much so a very unsophisticated industry uh, when it comes to development Uh, what our group does is we go into a certain area for developer if they have a specific site Mm -hmm. and we help them identify what type of product to bring in terms of hitting that gap and opportunity in the market in order to be successful so we'll come in and we'll analyze for them what's going on in the market within that area by price by absorption levels by supply levels by where to go by size of the units if it's a multifamily development who are we talking to in terms of our target demographic um, what can we expect in terms of absorption rates on this building and really help them mitigate risk around defining an ideal project Mm -hmm. Um, in the past a lot of these guys would literally just put their finger in the air (laughs) and say okay I see uh, this guy doing this over here that guy doing this I think I should build this because I think the market is there with literally no backup or sound evidence on why they should do that Mm -hmm. Um, real estate is a lot of just comps a lot of numbers a lot of charts It, it really doesn't mean anything what we did was we came in and we did an analytical perspective on it where we're sort of pinpointing graphically where these guys should go Mm -hmm. and why they should go there Um, and then from that perspective we do all the brand development so we'll create the brand identity we'll tell the story on the creative concept behind the development we'll do all the digital marketing we'll do all the print marketing we'll do all the 3d renderings you name it we pretty much do it in-house and then we sell or lease the
0: project to the general public so it's sort of a one one-stop shop so you're ba- like basically the developer their only job if they're working with you is acquiring the land uh pretty much so yes besides for <laughs>
1: engaging on the ar- with the architect right um yeah they can have they can come to us to handle mm-hmm. pretty
0: much everything with the with the exception of the construction as well so, so in a little bit i want to dive into sort of how, how you go about taking the statistical analysis and the big data approach and all that but i want to know firstly how how what was the moment that you kind of had this idea for this concept, and, and what what happened in your life leading up to there that, that made you want to get into this particular business?
1: Uh, for me, so I went to school um, to achieve my Bachelor of Commerce degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in school, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. You were at McKeown? I was, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, besides for the fact that I knew I wanted to get into business really had no idea where so like a lot uh, of young young exactly, right right? yeah that's the that's the most common thing is everyone thinks they have their life sorted out or Mm -hmm. society tells you you need to do this in this order and that's not the reality Um, so so for me uh, you know I was heavily involved in hockey growing up um, was always driven was always a team player um, was always looking I guess to be motivated um, to achieve something in life and so for me I knew I wanted to do something but had no idea what I wanted to do and then I started um, paying attention to you know what, what am I passionate about outside of hockey what am I passionate about um, within life itself um, besides family friends mm. etc so I started to notice that I had a really weird obsession with with high-rises funny guys, from yeah yeah <laughs> which is a little odd right so um, you know I just I found it so fascinating that humans can build these 40 50 story towers right mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just remarkable remarkable to me so um, I said okay well if I find that interesting I didn't go to school for architecture uh, why don't I get into real estate mm-hmm. so uh, right out of university I worked for a small um, boutique advertising agency in real estate here in Edmonton mm-hmm. um, and that's where I sort of saw that there was a massive gap within the marketplace um, in terms of what was being provided. And uh, my current partner, um, Alex Rafini, I actually worked with him uh, at that agency for a brief period of time as well. Mm -hmm. And and him and I um, chatted over the years and I left that agency right away, went over to work in business development and marketing for an engineering firm. Um, but we started to put that plan together in terms of what's not being provided Mm -hmm. and uh, there's a couple um, competitors of ours in vancouver that have very um, sales driven models that do very well so we took a combination of what they do well and we took a combination of the analytical perspective um, because alex's background is in statistics and economics Uh, Some of our key staff members—they're economists as well, they're statisticians as well—and we combine this business Uh, Mm model. And so we knew we knew that there was a gap there, and we knew that it was something that wasn't being offered. We didn't know it would take off the way it did, and uh, and so we started it uh, from scratch, and we grew into uh, one of the fastest growing companies in the province. Mm -hmm. In 2017, we were listed by alberta venture as mm-hmm. the 14th fastest growing company uh, we've been involved in pretty much almost every major development within edmonton and in, in some way shape or form expanded into calgary uh i think it was two years ago now mm-hmm. um, we're doing work in the united states now in new york and new jersey and we've done work in vancouver saskatchewan winnipeg uh, pretty much all over the country uh, so it's been it's been a crazy
0: First uh five and a half years. Um It's unreal. Yeah. It yeah, must just be a whirlwind to you. Like, is this really like do you ever stop to to kind of take an objective look at where you're at? Or is it just like you've been so busy with everything that's going on and growing so fast that it's like there's no time to really look at the forest. You just gotta focus on keeping going to the top of the mountain.
1: Yeah, that uh year five is when I did that. So yeah. about you know, six months ago or, or just less than a year ago. I was kind of like, okay, but what the hell? What happened? just happened? <laughs> right? So, yeah, the first, what you just said is exactly at mm-hmm. the first two, three years were mm-hmm. just nonstop, nonstop. And um, um, it was just insane growth. I mean, we hired uh, 17 people on marketing and research, and our sales and leasing team grew to over 20. Jeez. And that was in like a period of three and a half, four years. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, it was crazy. It was crazy for sure.
0: Do you, um, Did you guys ever in those five years or five and a half now, did you hit any real major stumbling blocks or setbacks that were kind of you thought might derail everything or has it been pretty smooth sailing? Yeah, I think
1: every business um, experiences that at some point in their life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people think that, um, you know, in the entrepreneurship world that it's sort of just you work hard and it all just pays off for you in the end. That's Mm -hmm. not the case, right? It's It's a mountain climb where you will climb up and then you'll fall down and sometimes you will even stumble down, right? So for us, uh, like most businesses actually uh, in any industry within the last two years, year and a half, we've had to make major adjustments just with the economy mm-hmm. um, slowing down in a big way. Uh, the mortgage rule changes implemented by the federal government, uh, really slowed down the real estate market mm. uh, pretty much in the entire
0: country was that the intention of the rule and can you can you i remember hearing about this this happened what a year and a half ago or two years ago yeah they it's changed? roughly about it yeah what was it exactly on. in layman's terms because yeah. i'm not i'm not a smart guy yeah
1: so in layman no <laughs> so in layman terms what they did was they implemented what's called the stress test okay. uh, in order to qualify for a mortgage they were really worried about those people who were highly leveraged and um, their debt ratio was way too high and they're starting to worry a little bit about people defaulting on their loans. Their ultimate goal with this mortgage will change was to cool the Vancouver and Toronto markets, mm-hmm. which in turn actually just ended up hurting everyone local because Vancouver is 90% plus mm-hmm. foreign ownership, foreign buyership.
0: Right. That doesn't seem like the right tool to slow down what they're trying to slow down. No, exactly.
1: Like I understand their, I understand their approach in terms of trying to mitigate risk around people defaulting on their loans. Mm -hmm. I get it. Um, But now it's been almost two years. This is starting to get, become a little overkill Mm -hmm. and, and there's really no reason for it anymore. And so what they, what they did was essentially they, they would take the Canada, Uh, the Bank of Canada interest rate, Mm -hmm. and you had to qualify at that interest rate or two percentage points above the highest rate provided by the bank in order um to make your payments on your loan and before they started they started to change the rules more and more because initially if you had 20 percent down didn't matter you didn't have to go through the stress test right but now even if you have 20 percent down mm-hmm. you have to go through the stress test uh and a lot of people are, are stretched very thin mm-hmm. and you know even that two percentage point difference on an interest rate They don't qualify Mm -hmm. and then another issue as well is is people are finding it harder and harder to save for a down payment Mm -hmm. um, on a home and it's also hurt business owners to qualify because um, you know they from a t4 perspective they will claim dividends they will carry revenue over they will income uh, sprinkle their income across family members and the federal government's trying to stop that Um, so it's been a huge mess um, uh, for the last two years, uh, even from a lending community perspective, they're even now struggling uh, mm-hmm. in a big way. Um, uh, mortgage brokers are struggling in a big way to get people qualified, and uh, it's overkill now. So that has hurt um, the for purchase market mm-hmm. big time, uh,
0: especially in a hurting economy like Alberta. Right. Wouldn't the argument in favor of that rule change, though, be that look, if, if you can't afford that, just buy something cheaper? like maybe it's not good to be leveraging right to the clo- you know at the max that you can mm-hmm. right what's is there an argued counter argument to that there is yeah like well what we've seen is
1: um, initially you've seen a large percentage of the market be wiped out from certain product categories mm-hmm. so exactly what you're just mentioning so you know a certain percentage of market that used to be able to afford single family mm-hmm. can no longer afford a single family home they can now qualify for a duplex or a town home in this instance. Gotcha. So that is happening, but actually what we're seeing for the most part is people just aren't getting financing, period. Right. So I think it was initially um, the percentage stat that was out there was that 25% of the buying pool was wiped out automatically.
0: Right. Really? Yeah. Well, as, as wiped out from what though? Wiped out from what? they want or altogether? Altogether. Why couldn't they just scale back to something a little smaller, or a little cheaper? Uh, because a lot of those
1: people were already stretched in as it was. Okay. Uh, and they were just wiped out altogether mm-hmm. for the most part. So yeah, it's it's hurt mm-hmm. uh, in a big way. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was a response to cooling the Toronto and Vancouver markets mm-hmm. that. Uh, ultimately, you know cities like calgary edmonton winnipeg saskatchewan mm. saskatoon and regina pay, are paying the price for that right so
0: so how do we see because everything adjusts right no matter how grim or bleak a situation seems in the history of human civilization we always find a way to, to adjust and change whether it's our lifestyle or our environment what are people now doing are, are they moving out of the even like Edmonton's not a big city, but are they moving into even smaller places or is it a matter of them moving farther away from the city center? What, what changes are we seeing because of this?
1: Well, for us, what we're seeing right now is the market is virtually just at a standstill. Um, you know, the condo market in uh, Edmonton is virtually non-existent now. Condos are the ones that suffer the most. Interesting. Uh, yeah, condos in Edmonton are a lifestyle-driven purchase for the most part. Mm. We're not a high-density Uh, style living city Mm -hmm. uh, like Vancouver
0: or Toronto that we seem Uh, to want to be we want to be yeah Yeah.
1: the issue is um, we don't have an affordability problem here like they do in Vancouver Toronto Mm -hmm. you can still purchase a single-family home in the suburbs you know call it Lane rear detached garage for $330,000 right you can't do that in any other major market. so if you're buying a condo here it's for the most part because you want that lifestyle you want to live centrally Mm -hmm. uh, but you know in Edmonton we have a ton of families or one of the youngest cities in Canada uh, and a majority of them they want to be in that single-family home still mm-hmm. we have a lot of land here and we have a large amount of suburbs uh, and subdivisions mm-hmm. and um, we don't have an affordability issue here so the condo market as well from an investorship standpoint in Edmonton it doesn't exist in nearly in terms of Vancouver Toronto and when you look at the numbers condos in Edmonton in some cases don't even appreciate sometimes they they really? depreciate. yeah so you know when you hear that when you heard that talk for a long time about you know when Vancouver implemented all these um, uh, you know tax changes tax laws mm-hmm. um, government Um, Programs that they want to try and stop all the foreign ownership. It did start to scare um, the foreign buyers off and you are seeing the Vancouver market cool down. Mm -hmm. However, you know, you heard all that talk about, you know, will they come to Calgary? There's a lot of talk around Calgary being the next sort of major city around that. It, it will never happen because the condo market here does not appreciate right. fifteen to thirty percent here mm-hmm. like it does in Vancouver. The higher
0: up you build, the you don't get a better view and yeah, yeah, you just yeah, see yeah. more of nothing, right? <laughs> <Exactly>. Whereas Vancouver, <laughs> right. at least you get in the ocean, the mountains. Yeah, the
1: individual units within those city the appreciation is, is huge. Mm-hmm. And the thing about you know Vancouver as well as there's, there's no land mm-hmm. when land pops up, it's it's gone, yeah. Within, within yeah, well you, you're stopped by geographical boundaries, exactly. Right? Whereas
0: Edmonton, we don't have that
1: problem, yeah. Well, I mean, Edmonton and Calgary could build all the way to each other mm-hmm. if you really wanted to, yeah, right. So, um, it, it doesn't make sense for investors to buy condos, individual units, in mass here because. Mm-hmm there's no appreciation on if you want to rent them out and the rental market's strong and you can maybe get a little bit of cash flow or you break even mm-hmm. have somebody else pay down your equity sure it's a it's your risk adverse uh, investment but mm-hmm. then there comes all the headaches right. of managing and owning a condo and right. um, you know the nightmares that come with that so so the condo market is virtually dead um, here at the moment the absorptions are, are not there at all you're looking at uh, you know pre-sale new product under construction it's it's generally one to two a month Mm -hmm. uh if that and um um what's been actually an interesting Result of all this is the rental market is completely boomed mm-hmm. uh, Here for the most part There's a ton of new construction in downtown Edmonton for purpose-built rental mm-hmm. You have roughly over 1800 units that are under construction going to be completed by the end of 2020
0: Yeah, would that be in the ice district specifically?
1: Uh, no all over downtown all over. Yeah, so the ice district had uh, the legends tower, mm-hmm. which is the mixed-use with the JW mm-hmm. uh, Marriott and then they have the uh, Stantec tower and the residential portion is Mm Sky Sky has about 483 uh, residents in it Mm -hmm. Uh, the legends has I think it's over 260 Um, all of them are condos Uh, the legends sold out uh, initially Mm -hmm. and Sky is currently um, pre-selling or Mm -hmm. selling currently Um, it'll be interesting to watch what happens with that as the absorptions are not not there on that project as well right Uh, but you have a ton of new projects scattered throughout downtown that are under construction Mm -hmm we're not that concerned about about it Um, they'll all be staggered in terms of completion they vary by low-rise mid-rise high-rise they vary by quality yeah they vary by location right amenities amenities uh, design you know you name it Um, so there will be something there that caters to all different types of demographics Um, is it gonna get competitive yes I think what you're gonna end up seeing is a huge slugfest in between buildings Mm -hmm. to try and attract tenants.
0: Well, it's good for a potential buyer, right? Yeah, or renter, even a renter in this
1: case, right? Um, There's not too many condos being planned right now. Mm -hmm. There is a few projects, but I fully expect that they might go rental as well. Mm -hmm. Again, just because the absorptions are not there. On the condo market, for the most part. So, um, and a huge driver of of uh, real estate is obviously migration. Yeah, and, and Alberta is not getting any interprovincial migration right now,
0: mm-hmm. which which also hurts it in a big way as well, right? So, right. Yeah. Well, wow, there's so it seems like so much to unpack, but I guess the the beauty of what you do is that. In, these are emotional emotional issues for a lot of people but what you guys are doing are really taking the emotion out of it 100 percent. and just diving straight into the numbers 100 percent. It, it seems like a lot of businesses are moving that way yeah um and you know i i actually asked my buddy who's a realtor probably two maybe three years ago now i was like do you think your job's in jeopardy he's like well no like the people always need realtors i'm like why maybe you can answer this evan why can't you analyze every detail of a house every little specification every little factor have that all plugged into one big system that that um, you know and the the system also includes you know how much every house in the neighborhood sold for what the proximity is like basically putting as much information as possible to give you the exact value of a house not like the hypothetical value or what your realtor thinks you're gonna buy it for or any of those other things it's like no no no, what is this actually worth based on supply and demand is that happening so is that that granular level that you're talking yeah absolutely so so I guess to um,
1: elaborate on what you were getting at there, so you, are you basically asking me if realtors will be
0: non-existent as well? Can you see a situation, I'm not asking if they will, I'm just saying can you see a situation in which you could see them not be, <laughs> not be relevant? I, as a realtor
1: stands today, uh, in terms of their job description mm-hmm. and, and their scope of work, do I see the realtor today as it stands not being around in five to ten years Mm. yes Um, I definitely think it'll be less than ten years I definitely think it might be a little bit more than five Mm -hmm. but the reason for that is exactly what you were just mentioning more and more and more technology is playing a huge role and real estate is the next big industry that it's going to take over Mm -hmm. and what you're seeing is like you just said all of the information is becoming more and more readily available online through all different types of programs in order for that consumer to make a sound decision mm-hmm. on buying or selling whatever it may be and There's also different forms of technology that are popping up right now in terms of institutional buyers or what are called I buyers and they started in the United States in 2015 mm-hmm. and there's a group in Canada doing an L2 and what they're doing is they're eliminating any sort of realtor they're eliminating the stress of Um, all the moving parts that come with buying a home you know it's the most complex um, process with buying or selling a home you've got lawyers you've got the bank you've got mortgage brokers you've got Realtors there's Mm -hmm. all these different moving parts and what these what these iBuyer programs are doing is they're platforms that are based on algorithms and a potential seller can contact them Mm -hmm. here's my house Mm -hmm. here's where it's located here's all the details an algorithm will automatically calculate what the price should be, and right. what this institutional buyer will buy it for. Right. All this can be done in ten days. Yeah. A week to ten days done, stress-free, mm-hmm. eliminated. If they come to an agreement, the percentage of fees that the eye buyer takes are generally lower than what realtors charge. Right. Realtors charge seven percent on the first hundred thousand, three percent on the remainder. Mm-hmm. So you compare those. And yes, it's a new thing. Yes, people will be scared to try it. Right. But you see more and more the technology is is becoming more and more to the forefront. And you look in the United States with Zillow, um, for example, and Zillow is coming up to Canada now, mm-hmm. um, and it will be here very soon. What was Zillow? So Zillow is a massive platform that connects buyers renters mortgage brokers realtors you name it it's a one-stop shop Mm -hmm. that has everything you need for real estate on one platform exactly what you just said so it's sort of like the mls for everybody on steroids it's mls times a million on steroids and when they come up to canada they'll make a serious serious impact uh here from that perspective Mm -hmm. as well um what i'm most intrigued with you know beyond our analytical approach and algorithm approach on the private development side of things is is blockchain yeah exactly that's um, where i was going yeah what's what's going on in, in and we always look to new york um as as one of the trendsetters with real estate obviously mm-hmm. and what's going on in new york right now is they you know some of those units that are in the 30 million dollar range 40 million dollar range that they're they're not moving right Um, they're looking to create real estate communities on blockchain Mm -hmm. and and list these units on blockchain so now all of a sudden people from all over the world have ownership in these 30 to 40 million dollar units but then when you think about that then there comes the ethical issues Mm -hmm. around you know all the legislation
0: um, you know who really owns this so is it like Um, a co-op sort of Or like how does the ownership get split up amongst the number of
1: people well basically like it's all related back to Bitcoin as well and you know I don't know the ins and outs of of how they're doing this but with blockchain they they literally create a network on blockchain for real estate okay and everyone you know owns a certain percentage based on the amount of Bitcoin they put in or what have you Um, you know that is such a complex world still but you know if you look at if you look at bitcoin 10 years ago Mm -hmm. the federal government or less than 10 years ago the federal government was squashing that in a second in the u.s they were arresting people they didn't want it to disrupt you know the status quo yeah but more and more and more and more you're seeing more and more products come out of blockchain Mm -hmm. more and more products you know utilizing bitcoin Mm -hmm. i'll be very interested to see how that plays a role yeah. in reshaping the world moving forward Well, of course
0: like it's the deinstitutionalization of, of everything essentially absolutely and who has the most to lose from that is the government right? absolutely it's it, it's interesting because it's sort of capitalism to the extreme right and yeah. we understand that capitalism isn't a perfect system but so far it's the best system that we've been able to figure out mm-hmm. yes it displaces people yes it creates ultra wealthy and 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 displace people at the bottom end but Um, you know when the access to information is no longer a barrier it allows everyone to compete a little bit better right yeah and like the like um, Zillow is doing right it's it's instead of having a few people be the gatekeepers to anything like realtors for example right it allows people to to all get in there right yeah yeah like i think
1: the human element will always exist in real estate transactions Mm -hmm. because you need that advisory role Mm -hmm.
0: you need the legal perspective but maybe maybe or maybe not maybe there's forms and systems created that are so that are so intuitive that you don't right like at one point People would have thought that you always needed a bank teller. Absolutely. It's like, no, I just do it for my phone now. Absolutely. (laughs) I walked into the bank. Have you been to the one on? on or one hundred fourth and one hundred first Street in the new building, right next to the by Joey Bell. Like there's an RBC right on the corner. Mm-hmm. You walk in and it's totally different. There's no longer the wickets. They just have like three desks floating around in the middle. Yeah. And there's an advisor standing in there. I kind of had to do a double take. I'm like, is this a real bank? Yeah. And he's like, yes, it's a real bank. You come up to my desk here. And, yeah. And I, I just, I don't know. Like I think, I think the it, it's romantic to think that the human element will always be necessary. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's unrealistic because yeah. we're so we're cutting costs of everything, right? Yeah. It's all about economizing and making everything more efficient, Agreed. cost effective.
1: It'll be interesting to see though how they're going to deal with this from uh, the legislation perspective and the legal mm-hmm. perspective, right? That's what I'm most intrigued to mm-hmm. see. But yeah, more and more you'll see technology play a huge role, in, and I guess. Um, Disrupting everything, right? From that perspective. Will the blockchain be able
0: to displace any legal
1: um, requirements? Well, that's the big issue, right? And that's what I want to see what happens with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, is how are they going to get around that? Mm-hmm. Is the thing that I'm most intrigued to see, right? And and you kind of see that with um, with society. You always have that that one percent or that one to four percent that see things. That, you know the other 95 don't see yeah and people tell them they're nuts mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden as soon as one major player catches on right you know um, you know the whole concept behind online banking with PayPal like Elon Musk uh, invented that mm-hmm. and you know everyone told him he was nuts you can't get around the legislation none of the banks are gonna sign on to this um, it's gonna go nowhere mm-hmm. and then as soon as one major bank signed on they mm-hmm. all signed on it mm-hmm. now online banking is it's the only way to go right and like you're just saying yeah. you know the whole retail aspect or um you know having that storefront that game is changing in a massive mm-hmm. way also
0: yeah so i know you guys aren't in the commercial space um at all but you're probably very well aware of it and maybe you could explain a little bit of sort of what's going on because I've, I've heard whispers that Uh, vacancies for commercial spaces downtown Edmonton are are skyrocketing there's so many people moving out of the downtown core Um, they don't see it necessary to be there they're not even having a physical storefront anymore is that really the case right now yeah I think you know and again we don't touch commercial retail but um, just sort of
1: seeing what's out there just you know being a business owner myself Mm -hmm. and Edmonton especially if we're talking about Edmonton and we're talking about downtown we're not a centralized workforce and what's being developed mm-hmm. is, you have all this massive commercial space mm-hmm. being developed. And what Edmonton is, is we're not, a, we're not a headquarters city. We're not a head office city. We do have some major head offices here, but we're a startup city. Uh, we're an entrepreneur city and we're a, a, literally a grown from scratch city mm-hmm. or it's, or it's public sector, mm-hmm. right? So what i am seeing a huge lack of is exactly that, that smaller sort of tech space, mm-hmm. um, you know, that 400 to 800 square feet instead of that, you know, 2000 to 10,000 square feet that was being developed. Mm-hmm. Um you know and that the co-working mm-hmm. um uh, aspect as well is is it's starting to come on in a big way as well downtown but mm-hmm. yeah i agree with you i think um you know again coming back to the developing what's needed more so than what you think is is needed based mm-hmm. on market conditions right and, and yeah. based on analytics and based on what the threshold is for absorptions um yeah. guys need to be paying way more attention to it and what's interesting too is and I know you brought this up earlier is there's still and I see this every day in our industry there's there's still that hesitation to look at that analytics or look at that data and just accept it right. for what it is right it's nobody's opinion yeah it's not like I'm walking into them to your office and telling you what to do mm-hmm. it's it's this is the market this is what the threshold is this is where you should go and here's why mm-hmm. so it's 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 a data-driven, analytical perspective that has evidence for it, whereas, you know, if you want my opinion, I'll give it to you, but this is what you should build for this very reason.
0: Right. Perfect. So, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the granular level. What are, what are the, um, the categories that you're taking into consideration? Like, and I know there's probably hundreds, but what are sort of the main buckets of things that go into creating this analysis of the big data? So we start,
1: uh, first off, we take sort of a macro top-down from 30,000 square feet view. So we'll take a look at the overall economy. We'll take a look at migration. We'll take a look at housing drivers. Mm -hmm. We'll take a look at all different types of top-down perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then what we'll do is we'll take a look at uh, household income. Mm -hmm. We'll take a look at percentage of rent versus owned. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll take a look at the year in terms of all the inventory in terms of when it was built mm-hmm. uh, so if it's you know if it's a, a rental development we'll take a look at is it surrounded by all older product we'll take a look at affordability threshold mm-hmm. okay what are people's household incomes and what can they afford on a monthly payment and what percentage of that population mm-hmm. can afford that monthly payment so how deep is the market here to begin with right like if you're bringing a if you're bringing a high-rise, you know, let's just say in Southwest Edmonton, where you you literally only have you know, call it 20 absorptions a year of condos, and you're bringing a 400-unit tower, well, you know, you're gonna have problems, right? And and half the population chooses to uh, buy single-family homes or more, then you're gonna have problems, right? So we we start with that. Then from there, what we do is, and we've spent a ton of time building our database for the last five years. Yeah, where do you together? pull this information from? Oh, it's, it's all different types of mm-hmm. approaches. We do, we do data scraping of, uh, of certain websites that we pull data from. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do secret shops, we do physical counts. We do all different types of surveys. Wow. Yeah, we share data and retrieve data from the City of Edmonton, mm-hmm. City of Calgary, you name it, and it's all amalgamated into one database. It's that open source earth.
0: from the city must have been a huge boom for you guys.
1: Yeah, it's you know that that type of data um, is public knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, where we take it to the next level is we get the private development data mm-hmm. that's not open knowledge, and and that's the really really hard data to get, mm-hmm. and it's extremely labor intensive. Uh, But it's going to tell you, it's going to paint the picture of what's going on, all right? So we have all different types of of subscriptions and custom studies that we provide. But um, So yeah, from that perspective, once we we take a look at affordability threshold, who we're talking to, who can afford it, and how many could potentially be absorbed, Mm -hmm. does it have the capacity to absorb this type of development, then we'll start taking a look at all the new builds within that area. Mm -hmm. We'll also take a look at the resale market but we'll take a look at all the new builds and we'll say, okay, 90% of the absorptions for one bedrooms are between this size and this size. What do you define an absorption? So that means sold. Okay. Or rented. Okay. Yeah. So actually, um, brought yeah, someone yeah, into that. Brought area. somebody into that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So 90% of that is happening between this size and this size. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, There's nothing in the market currently being provided in this area at this price. Mm. Okay Why is that is that because it's not selling or is it just because nobody is bringing it to the market? And it's very graphical and it's very visual Mm. in terms of how we present this So we really start to narrow down how many units they should bring Mm. What the size should be what the price point should be and here's what they can expect for uh absorptions as
0: as you're talking about this i just can't help picture like like a a grid of the city in certain areas like it's very visual to me it's very like it makes sense right like density and having this many people at this price and you know the filters and um when you're looking at, at trends of people buying so here's one question i have do the trends indicate what people truly want or do the trends indicate what people are buying and therefore it's a, it's a self-reinforcement self-fulfilling kind of thing like like Steve Jobs says you know people don't know what they want until you show them it's like that might be a little bit different with housing because people actually might know oh, I've got this family and I need this size or, or are people going towards things that seem to be trendy
1: yeah a lot of the a lot of the aspects in terms of what sells or what moves are a little bit of combinations of both one is uh, because people Want that type of product and mm-hmm. we do a lot of testing around that in terms of consumer testing focus groups, surveys mm-hmm. uh, what have you but but two is also because it's just what's being brought to the market mm-hmm. uh, you know what I find the most intriguing is with the city of Edmonton you know they're, they're mandate and they're pushing and they're pushing for they want more families downtown mm. they want more family oriented living downtown um, and you know they're building all these parks and what have you Everything that's planned and is coming in the next, call it two to three years, none of it is oriented units, Right, whether it's condo or rental. Mm -hmm. Um, Young professionals. It's all young professionals or it's downsizers. Mm -hmm. Everything is between 300 square feet
0: and 1,000 at the most. So downsizers would be, for example, parents whose kids are all gone and now they're going to something smaller, tighter, maybe more luxurious, but just kind of compacting their life into into one sort of centralized area correct yeah okay. what we're
1: seeing with a lot of downsizers actually right now as well is, you know let's just say they bought their house in call it 1990 for mm-hmm. 200 grand yeah today it's now worth six hundred thousand dollars great made a lot of money on this property on the appreciation they can't come to terms with the fact that everything else has also gone up in price. right And when they do the math and they sell their home for 600k, but then they move into a bungalow for 500k, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to them. Mm-hmm. right So what a lot of them are choosing actually now is to rent sell their home and live off the equity and have that free cash flow mm-hmm. and rent and and downsize into that 800, 900 square foot unit. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have trouble with the 800 to 900 square feet minimum. They Most of them want to be in at least 1,400 square feet. Right. So that's still a big issue. But yeah we're seeing a lot of that now because it, again it you know to move into a really nice bungalow you're looking at minimum 500 to 600 thousand dollars and mm-hmm. a lot of them can't justify or they just end up staying where they are mm-hmm. until they physically can no longer stay in their home because of the stairs or health issues right, right. So
0: so with the with the philosophy behind not going into the rental market be that ultimately you still got something that you own that has equity and and that that's something you can pass on to your kids whereas if you move to the rental market you're basically bleeding bleeding cash until you die right yeah I think it's just
1: it's a choice of you know do we want that free cash flow so we can travel mm-hmm. um you know and there's no worries and like you said kind of be free or do we want to stay here have the equity and then until we can physically no longer do it mm-hmm. uh then we'll sell the house and like you said the kids can have whatever equity <laughs> whatever's them, right? left over yeah right? it's it's not an easy decision i i mean for them to make mm-hmm. and rightfully so a lot of these people have been in their homes mm-hmm. for for 30 years right so
0: overall are people becoming more satisfied with less space is that you're seeing a trend just across like broad strokes 100%. across everyone now, now is that a chicken and the egg scenario like because you know consumerism i think i hope is on decline right We're, we've kind of undersold that have it, the baby boomer have everything you want in life uh by you know the the ge appliances and all this shit. that's kind of we've realized that was a fraud. We realize that the more shit we buy, the more that stuff owns us, the more we're locked down, the less happy we are because we think the happiness is just on the on the verge of a new purchase. So it, are people happy with less space because they're realizing that they don't need as much or is stuff getting so expensive they can't afford more space that they're justifying it with all these, you know, sort of psychological, mental mental, mental health kind of justifications? Yeah,
1: I think it's a combination of both mm-hmm. um you know what we see right now is you know the the younger generation or the the millennial generation if you are you a, are you in the millennial I'm, generation? A millennial, I'm an older millennial yeah yes. right yeah. I'm, I'm two years
0: younger than you yeah. so I'm in there as well yeah yeah
1: I uh I have my thoughts on that too but <laughs> so what um, what we're seeing with that is yes there's less emphasis placed on material ownership mm-hmm. um, you know they value more the experience yes in life yeah. right um, however I still do and I still am a strong believer that they do want the family they do want the single family home mm-hmm. a big issue is it's becoming less and less affordable yeah uh, and another thing that we're seeing is it's happening later in life mm-hmm. you know the past generations with the baby boomer you go to school you graduate you have kids you have a family you work nine to five Mm -hmm. and you do it for 30 years straight, Mm -hmm. right? And you're miserable. Yeah, and you're miserable. That's that's dead in the water. Yeah. Um, That doesn't exist anymore. You're seeing people have children later. Mm -hmm. You're seeing people get married later. Mm -hmm. You're seeing people live for those experiences, right? So I definitely still think it exists. I definitely still think, you know, the next generations want the single family. They want the nice house. Mm -hmm. They're very impatient. you know it's a generation that lacks patience because it's that instant gratitude mm-hmm. right you know you post something on social media all of a sudden you're getting comments from strangers right. that you don't even know yeah um, but the issue too is affordability mm-hmm. and right now you know in a lot of major cities it's that drive till you qualify mm-hmm. um, mentality where okay you know here's my max budget I want to live in this square footage well then in this case you need to drive you know for 20 minutes 30 minutes outside the core mm-hmm. uh, in order to live in that single family home or like you just said here's my budget I need to sacrifice size mm-hmm. and live centrally mm-hmm. and you know we have a project right now uh, Raymond block on yeah. White Avenue and we're seeing exactly that here's my budget it's $1,400 a month can I get into this building yeah you can for 450 square feet okay I'm in done right? Yeah. So,
0: so because they want to live right on white app they yeah. want to live in the heart of it all To lifestyle right? exactly the less you have you know your, your commute to work is directly correlated with your overall happiness in life the longer you spend in the car driving to work or bus or whatever the less happy you tend to be overall with life so there's that and also I think too what would increase your happiness with maybe spending more for less in a more central location is that you're forced to get rid of stuff and that can be very freeing for people I know like storage law are the bane of people's existences because they just they get anxiety just thinking about them they're like oh my god I have all this shit that I've had for all these years and they don't want to throw it away because it's sentimentally valuable to them but but at the end of the day like if you only look at it once every five years what good is it hundred percent right? yeah and I think you know the millennial generation gets harped on a lot
1: for the way that they're approaching life mm. but to me exactly what you just said earlier You look at the past generations and you spend 45 minutes driving to work in the morning you spend 45 minutes driving home then you got to go to soccer Mm -hmm. or you got to go to hockey Mm -hmm. or you got to go grocery shopping or whatever it is and it's just constant on the go constant in the car mm. constant worrying about bills constant worrying about mortgages constant worrying about whatever you name it mm. and you're just like is this really the smartest way to live mm-hmm. does this literally make sense yeah and so I think it actually is an approach that they've looked at that and they've been raising it and they watched it And they're kind of like this is stupid Mm -hmm.
0: like i i don't want to go down this route i see a generation that's not afraid to try things a different way right 100 how many how many baby boomer families are are the mom and the dad are just miserable because they've worked for you know decades at jobs that they don't enjoy because that's what was expected of them because that's what they thought they had to do right you get the rare breed back then that, you know, started their own business or tried their own things, lived by their own sort of sword. But, um, you know, I think more and more people are trying that now, but we're also hamstrung by the massive debt that's been incurred and passed down to us by the last generation. So it's like, it's like they, they look at us and say, you guys are all lazy and, and uh, entitled and and here's all the problems that we caused for you. So take those and deal with them too, right? 100%. Yeah, I think... You know on that
1: on that note too I think that's that is a big issue though um, is the entitlement mm-hmm. uh, and and I think it's a major problem but I think it's also a, ref, a reflection of how the Millennials were raised yeah you know you and, and even it's going on right now you've got schools that don't hand out zeros anymore you get participation trophies for mm-hmm. showing up mm-hmm. and then you get into the real world and you get a job yeah and well what do you mean I I don't get $90,000 to start right out of school. Or what do you mean I don't get a raise just because I showed up to work? My boss didn't pat (laughs) me on the back. Exactly. What, did I do something wrong? He doesn't like me. Exactly. I'm affected. Right? Exactly. So it's it's a major major problem mm-hmm. and you know i you know in in the baby boomers defense um i think the millennial millennial generation needs to wake the hell up yeah. in a big way too
0: it's a double edged sort of like we were we were raised a certain way so it's not really our fault but as soon as we become self-aware to realize we were raised that way, then from then on out, it is our fault. 100%. As soon as you realize you were raised a little bit entitled, then it's like, well, from now on, that's that's no excuse. Exactly. Because I realize what happened. So I can't say, oh, mom, dad raised me this way. Yeah. It's like, okay, I see that. I get it. Now how do I fix that? Yeah, exactly. And And that's the thing is...
1: Nothing in life is free. You're you're not entitled to anything You have to make your own success Mm -hmm. and you have to pursue your own success Mm -hmm. and you know I I always laugh or it's frustrating to hear people um, Actually with any entrepreneur when they say, you know, oh, you know, you're lucky to to be where you're at or you know, uh you're to out to out say fuck like, you, Yeah, right. and I you know, and I say, Okay, well first of all, um, this was created out of nothing. Yeah. And <laughs> it's actually absolute hell building a business from nothing. Uh, and it's a twenty four seven dedication, but mm-hmm. yes, I guess I'm lucky. Yeah. Or I guess anybody can can do it.
0: Funny, the harder I work, the luckier
1: I get. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? So yeah, it's uh but yeah, no, from that perspective I, I think that Um, you know, it's a double edged sword, like you said, it, it's tough because they were raised Mm -hmm. in in that environment, Mm -hmm. but also at the same time, I think, you know, stop sulking and understand the real world is a hard, hard place and do
0: something about it. Well, you've got a young kid now, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how, you know, how are you going to raise this child to, to sort of prevent some of the mistakes that we're seeing with the current generation? Like... You know, we—it's it, tough because—and I say that I said this recently to someone. Like, I feel like I'm lucky, and, and you're in this situation too, where our kids—I don't have kids yet, but one day I will. Um, we're aware of how dangerous social media and some technologies can be, right? But kids that are actually right in between your our age and our kids' age, so that's sort of like ten to fifteen year old right now. They were raised on this stuff unlimited unfettered access with no indication that there were any problems so those are the really unlucky people yeah um so we're fortunate that we have that foresight now to be able to say like you know this is i know the screen time is maybe a a a negative thing we should we should watch and monitor that Mm -hmm. but i mean like what you know what do you see your kid growing up in what kind of world (laughs)
1: yeah it's a little concerning um and like you said Uh, social media for me didn't even come along until I was almost done university Mm. Um, so I didn't grow up with that Mm. Um, and I I can't even imagine being a kid that that did grow up with that Mm. nowadays for me with my daughter she's she's three years old and and for me I just really want to install confidence in her Mm. Um, I really want her to know that that she can do anything in life and to not be shy and the only person holding you back is yourself Mm. Uh, and do not pay attention to that online world Mm. you know if you want to be online and you want to have that social media presence go for it but know that it's it's not real yeah Um, it's a it's a platform that posts the highlights For the most part you know people will generally you know post images of the highlights of their life when their life is usually quite boring yeah or what they post is um you know not necessarily the truth Mm -hmm. that's another major issue right Right. so it's just educating them on on that front and um making sure that they understand (laughs) that whereas in the past like you said that education wasn't there and it was a free for all and uh yeah you know you know social media changed the world in a good way but it also changed it in a in a really really bad way yeah and
0: um Uh, you're seeing that all day long though. there's an interesting um, concept I forget what the name of it is but they're saying like when you go out into the world like you leave all your problems at home you've got you know you might be over leveraged you might have had a death in the family whatever it is so you go out and you know sort of the worst parts of your life And and then you interact with everyone and you just are seeing them at their best right you're seeing them and they're successful whether they're in their job or doing what they love or whatever so you're comparing your true self to their sort of perfect self when in reality we're all suffering with things right we've all got the things everyone's got something bad in their life no matter how good your life is right so i mean social media amplifies that in a way i think because it obviously gives us even more access to more people who can post the really glamorized sort of enhanced versions of their life but it is a tool that would allow us to also come to an understanding with one another if we decided we're going to post the real shit, you know, and when we decide we're going to post stuff that, that you know, we struggle with and I think you're seeing more and more of that, right? People are posting those honest sort of um, confessional things of like my life's not perfect and, you know, 95% of it is boring. I, I'm an example of that. Like 5% of my job is, Fucking cool man. Like out there, like meeting awesome people, ninety five percent of it, super boring. Yeah. I don't post that stuff simply because when I'm sitting there on the computer I'm not thinking like, hey, I should post about this. It's more like well I'm actually working. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so I think I think it is like any tool, you can use it greatly or you can use it poorly. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's a you know, it's a it's a
1: massive influence on people's lives. Hmm. And um you know, I think it's it's highly important to understand the ins and outs of that. Though, like mm. I said, it's not real, yeah, uh, and it's not the daily grind, yeah. and it's not uh, the struggle that that people go
0: that people go through on a daily yeah. basis. Right? You mentioned Raymond Block, which is obviously one of the, the developments you guys are working with, and I was reading up about a, a bit about it. and it Seems like the the concern at, in Old Strathcona was that. Um, they want to maintain the historical feel of the neighborhood so you've got tons of developments how do you balance progress with paying tribute or respecting sort of the heritage of an area yeah I think there's I think there's a bunch of different
1: issues with uh, a whole bunch of different aspects when it comes to that Um, I do agree that Edmonton does not uh cater to the historical buildings as they should Mm. you know if it's a historical building in edmonton oh better tear it down you know it's it's ridiculous um some of the some of the most beautiful buildings we had in the past that got torn down um you know not implemented or designed out fully to be integrated with all the new development it's Mm. it's quite sad to watch Uh, and then at the same time there's so much potential within edmonton from a development perspective Uh, that could be extremely well done Mm. and and Edmontonians for the most part who have been here forever are afraid of that Mm. Uh, they kind of want that status quo and uh, they kind of want that you know they don't want any change Mm -hmm. they fear change right and what I'm seeing too especially with the younger generation upcoming in our game and the development game is they've traveled They've seen the world. They've seen all these cool cities. Right. They've seen all the walkability. They've seen these retail hubs. They've seen these districts. And they say, why doesn't Edmonton have that? Mm-hmm. We can easily do this here. And you're seeing that in a massive way now. It takes a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's gonna be another 15 years before you really see, you know, Edmonton's districts build out and mature in, in a big way, but it's getting there and it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. So um I think there's a good balance, and, and Raymond Block, I think, is a good example because they put a ton of effort into the way they designed that building. Yeah, uh, it is beautifully designed. And if you go walk into the lobby of, of that building, it is awesome. Mm-hmm. It literally makes you feel like you're in a you know, a, 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 an area of Brooklyn, mm-hmm. uh, in New York because the designer was out of New York. And it, Is it done that building? It is, yes, okay. yeah, and it's uh it's very much white up. Yeah, like it screams white up That's awesome. And, and you know, when I, whenever I'm in that building, all I think to myself is, oh man, I wish this was around when I was 22 years old yeah. or 23. I would have been in here in a second, yeah. right? So uh, stuff like that is long overdue and uh you know there's a way to blend the new with the old and make it tasteful and and some of the most beautiful buildings or areas you see that are out there have history behind them mm. and they're blended with with the new right i mean go to cities like vancouver it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world yeah and they have a ton of historic buildings mm-hmm. but it's all blended right and yeah. so yeah. so it just takes
0: developers who are willing to, you know, kind of play ball, right, and be good. Like, for example, I think I read about Raymond Block. There was a a small sacrifice to recede the residential part of the building from three stories upward so from the street level it didn't look like this massive imposing building so you you sacrifice a little bit of of livable space to sell to to satisfy everyone absolutely
1: yeah absolutely you take a look at at the retail component along the main uh the main drag there on white ave and in the summertime people will see this they have these beautiful accordion doors that open right up onto the strip and and you have you know the patios that are within remedy Cafe, they'll be lively and, and vibrant and then on some of these retail stores as well they have 30-foot ceilings it's amazing. it's like walking into an old bank in mm-hmm. the 1930s like it's it's amazing <laughs> and so when you take these kind of cool approaches and you make them very white out yeah it can be it can be awesome mm-hmm. from an integration standpoint right and uh, you know I think the design component of Edmonton is finally getting better um, <laughs> we have a lot of yeah, things here but. you know it uh, it's been awful for so so long and even the the last wave that just came uh, in 2014 2015 was okay mm-hmm. it's not that great yeah. um, but what I'm seeing now some of the stuff that's being designed and, and coming to the market in the next call it five well two to five years mm-hmm. is,
0: is awesome who and, are the builders developers who are, who are leading the charge in that sense I think well so I can name some buildings that
1: I think are quite unique that are coming um, and and uh, from a design perspective are, are quite unique What of these guys we're trying to do or, or which I like is very much follow sort of that live work and play mentality and community mentality all within a district mm-hmm. itself or that mixed-use building component so you live there you've got retail on the bottom you've got commercial uh, halfway up yeah and you don't need to even leave your immediate area, yeah, and well you see in a winter city. Exactly you know, right. Side. Exactly. So you know you take a look at some some buildings like Raymond Block uh, being one of them. West Block is a unique development too by Beaverbrook Inhouse that yeah. totally is revitalizing that entire corner mm-hmm. uh, on 142nd and, and Stony Plain Road yeah. there uh you take a look at um the mclaren mm-hmm. uh within the uh, glenora area there on 124th street yeah. as well that's um, under construction right now totally gonna you know um, reinvent that corner as well mm-hmm. um there's a project called the shift that's coming to in, in downtown on 106 by by Edgar development that's that's quite nice from a design yeah. perspective These are um, buildings that
0: when I drive by so the McLarens a perfect example I look at this development and I go wow I would love to live there Yeah and I I think there there needs to be more of that right Absolutely
1: Yeah and we and you know we uh, we've got two clients um, we have a project coming in the government district mm-hmm. uh, with Pangman which is Augustana Tower you know you're talking about the first high rise in that entire area, mm-hmm. um, and it's going to completely change the game in that area. You've got a ton of public service workers that work there. Yeah. Well, wait. Mm-hmm. Now you can tell me all of a sudden I literally can step outside my front yeah. door and I'm two seconds from my work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fantastic, right? And so, um, you know, when I see all this happening, it's great because, and I always tell people this story. I, we go to Vancouver a lot because we've got clients in Vancouver, and. and the mixed use aspect of vancouver every single building is mixed use you you, you leave your door in downtown vancouver and you got shops the whole way down coupled by commercial coupled by residential Mm -hmm. and you know i'm staying downtown and um, a couple of my friends who live there called me and you know said when you're done work do you want to come to a movie and i said yeah sure but i'm downtown um you know where's the theater yeah well where are you staying and i said the hyatt and they said yeah it's right around the corner yeah and i said what are you talking about and so I, I i walk out front of my hotel and i go down the street and in this tower was restaurants along the bottom mm-hmm. commercial right on top of it a giant theater on top of that and then a residential <laughs> on top of that mm-hmm. and you're just like this is absolutely amazing yeah and and that's what edmonton needs and it's coming mm-hmm. right
0: so. yeah absolutely i mean um like I think the brewery district's great, but it just doesn't seem like there's the population there to support it yet. It's coming. Like yeah, like yeah. up and around it. And Absolutely, there's a lot of development
1: planned for that area. Yeah, and if it moves forward, uh, it will come in a big way. Yeah, and I mean,
0: I've was, I've was, I've done one trip to New York, but when I noticed, it's such an imposing, big, seemingly massive, monstrous city when you go in there really does seem to be a community feel around each sort of little block or section of blocks because you've got your bodega you've got you know some some offices and you've got a ton of residential as well and i think that's what edmonton seems to be missing is that the community feels you've got the community of like the single family houses so like glenora and whatever i don't even know all the names of them but but like to, as you get closer to downtown it seems to just be this sort of like vacant space of of nothing no community no feel no vibe and i noticed like like you're mentioning with these big 30-foot ceilings and like these old banks and like the good life in brewery district has this huge open space and there does seem to be a community there like i've met several people there and like every time i go i'm now like oh i recognize so and so and so and so you really start to get a feel for the neighborhood yeah so absolutely it's good to see that happen
1: they um you know they—they're bringing it. The developers are bringing it, and it's long overdue. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know Edmonton is no secret. It's—it's it's known nationwide as one of the most poorly planned um, right. cities from a designing perspective, from a uh, infrastructure perspective, you name it. From a transit perspective, it's it's a fiasco um, it's, it's no
0: secret <laughs> I think right? it's used in a documentary one time as an example of what not to do absolutely a buddy of mine told me that one. yeah
1: the um, from what I've been told just from that community on on the engineering side and the building side um, the Yellowhead is a case study yeah. uh, nationwide yeah. of how not to design. <laughs> I don't even know what the Yellowhead is. Um, and now you're talking about the feds have to cough up a billion dollars. Yeah. A billion dollars to fix that monstrosity. Uh, South Edmonton Common, apparently, and I, I don't know what school it is, but apparently there are a bunch of schools in the US, major schools that come up here to tour South Edmonton Common yeah. on what not to do from the a region. The ultimate
0: example of big box suburbia, big urban box, sprawl.
1: Big box suburbia, no way in or out, yeah. traffic's a disaster, yeah. one of the most poorly designed Developments.
0: You literally developer. can't walk from one store to the next because if you go three stores down, it takes you 25 minutes to walk back. Exactly. To your car. Exactly. I mean, it was a home run for the developer because yeah. they
1: did very well from the retail perspective. Right. But if you're looking at the design perspective, yeah, um, you know, it struggles. And then you take a look at the infrastructure planning, and you take a look at the LRT. Uh, you know, n- name me what one major city in the world who has at grade mass lrt systems like we do couldn't tell you yeah like you know new york paris Mm -hmm. vancouver like it's not at great and we're doubling down exactly and it's it's mind-blowing to me so the the private development community can do so much can only do so much but when the infrastructure is not there when the planning's not there when you take years to widen roads that should have been widened you know, call it 10 years ago. Yeah, um, it's frustrating. And how do you attract those people to Edmonton? How do you keep those smart minded people who want to live and grow in a city mm. where there's so many frustrations around dealing with that that um, uh, are dealt with? So, I think it, I think the city really needs to, the planning department anyway needs to be I don't know what you would call it, but revamped, yeah, revamped in a Whatever big way.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, a lot of my interest lies in that sort of urban development and, and transportation or um, transit infrastructure, right? Yeah. Um, about a year ago, I had a guy, an Edmonton guy on my podcast who's got this proprietary technology for a maglev train. His name is Dan Korns, and he showed me his you know, white paper and all the research. And like you know like your business, very statistical-based approach of like, look, here's all the time and efficiency and money that can be saved by implementing this kind of stuff. But it's like, it's like well, no, we've already got three quarters of the city laid with LRT track. Let's lay the other quarter. Like, let's throw down over a billion dollars to do that. Yeah. Create more congestion to, 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 to put more investment into an antiquated technology. Like, it's yeah. it's just, it's mind-blowing. So we've got such a great vibe in this city, great community, but we're pushing them away because we're not giving entrepreneurs an opportunity after university to really grow their business. We need to get more incubators here and that and we're making steps in the positive direction. There's not good living options for a young professional or for people who are young but also want to start a family. Mm-hmm. It's like Edmonton's got these great things but yet we're we're just dropping the ball on these other like seemingly simple things to keep people here absolutely like and and the frustrating thing too is when you think about it
1: is um, you look at the River Valley Mm. which is absolutely amazing like we have clients who come here from Toronto they have no idea this thing existed yeah they show up and they're like what is this this is outstanding Mm -hmm. right and so the city's done an extremely poor job of marketing that but also you take a look at the forks in winnipeg winnipeg Mm. so you're talking about a city that is like going back in time they have developed out their riverfront with shops with restaurants with a ton of retail walkability paddle boats you name it Mm. why has winnipeg done that in a great way when edmonton has this absolutely massive gem that we could develop in a sustainable, in a in a aspect that respects the environment, but also creates a massive community along this gorgeous riverfront mm-hmm. that can be done tastefully and it can be done right. Yeah. Who how the hell has that not happened yet?
0: Do you have any answer to that? No. Is there any indication? I mean you take a
1: look at the I know the city's looked at it many times. Yeah. Um, the private development community has, you know, you know push for it Mm -hmm. and it just hasn't happened and it's one of the most underutilized resources we have in the city by far and then you take a look at the walkability perspective I'm going to go back to Winnipeg again but even with Winnipeg in certain mature neighborhoods there are streets where it's all shops it's all restaurants it's all retail with the exception of White Avenue in Edmonton Mm. I cannot name you one walkable community that Mm -hmm. has all that right on one strip besides white avenue yeah it literally doesn't exist the closest thing would be like 104th street yeah right and that's
0: that's not really walkable
1: no and there's not there's not a lot of single-family homes at all right if you're talking single-family homes right there's not interesting right because it's so poorly planned
0: well that in and of itself would be a great platform for for anyone wanting to get into politics uh, (laughs) any interest
1: there no god (laughs) no if you want to get into politics my heart
0: goes out to you for sure (laughs) yeah um I, yeah i'm glad we covered the river valley because it's a note i had and I, I really wanted to talk about that and just see like from someone who's learning so much about the city um in recent years it's just these are questions i have it's like did i miss the boat did i miss a, like a meeting that these were addressed in that everyone's like oh this is why we're not doing it or is everyone wondering the same thing that i'm wondering and yeah it's wondering, it's, right? it's mind-blowing like and You
1: know, uh, going back to the LRT too, they talk about the cost, Mm. right? Well, it's the cost to go underground or it's the cost to make it a SkyTrain. Well, if you're concerned about the cost, why do you need to build out the entire leg to the west end? Why? Why do you have to do the whole thing? Why can't you go underground, slowly expand it over the next 20 years, 15 Mm. years, whatever it is. You don't have to build out the entire thing and I'm obviously I'm sure they've done some sort of fiscal analysis yeah. around this or I hope they would have <laughs> you never know yeah but yeah I mean there's got to be other solutions mm-hmm. than to create this complete disaster yeah. of a transit system and same thing with the River Valley you have the giant factory down there by the Walterdale Bridge mm-hmm completed. I mean, can that not be turned into something like Granville Island
0: yeah. in Vancouver? Well, exactly. Or what's the one uh, in Richmond that they just built up an in old industrial part on one of the deltas there? Yeah, and yeah. apparently it's just fantastic there. Now.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know why? Why isn't all this being capitalized yeah. on? So it's an interesting discussion to to have, and I think that should be revisited. And I know it it is um, out there, and I know it it gets brought up yeah. um, a lot more frequently now than it has in the past. Yeah um you know and yeah but some of the decisions that are made are are
0: are interesting it's got to take pressure it's got to take the public to consistently get get um on the case of of city council and the government to say look like these are things we want but everyone's so wrapped up in their own day-to-day that who can blame them for not like having to you know being able to go out and and, um obtain that information right absolutely it's it's very tough and and like the river valley just another thing about it is like so much great usable space But lots of people are scared to go down there. So like after dark, for example, you know, there's a ton of homeless people living there. Not saying that they inherently are trouble, but people's perception of them being there makes them, makes them feel like it's trouble. So it's like, look, are we not better off to have segments that are completely untouched, but, but innervated by developed areas that make people feel safe? Like, Hey, this is a, this is a covered path and it's all treed out, but five minutes down the road I'm going to hit like a few stores you know it's, whatever yeah
1: so. absolutely no I agree and it, it can be done tastefully it can be done right mm-hmm. um, and I think it's definitely something that can, should continue to be explored further yeah. Um you know, and in, in Edmonton's defense, too, as a city, I mean, uh, me being born and raised here, uh, I've seen this city double in size in 30 years. Yeah, that is nuts. Yeah, to keep up with that is <laughs> extremely hard. But is it going to
0: last without oil and gas? Yeah, that's
1: the thing, right? And, and so the diversification uh, component is is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, with and it's a huge topic of discussion. And again, you know, government inefficiencies in the past have. Um, resulted in what we're in yeah today yeah
0: right so what's your uh what's your favorite city in the world favorite city in the world a guy who's passionate about skyscrapers that's a tough one um that i've been to or yes let's say well both that you've been to and that
1: you want to go to favorite city in the world from a development perspective new york yeah um that city is just absolutely
0: what's so remarkable about it is that it's so old yet it was able to stay with the times i know they had the foresight to see this yeah
1: yeah that's that city is something else i don't even know how to describe it it's just absolutely uh outstanding um i love london Mm -hmm. i think london's an absolutely amazing city the moment i i touched down in london i was just blown away from, from everything yeah. I, I ever, I've ever i ever seen there try, just,
0: try finding a hotel room that's got two beds in it it's fucking oh, really challenging it's impossible. Yeah. we go there next Wednesday and I'm like yeah. the is? are there only single bed hotel rooms oh, sorry. No. sorry guys yeah. we're sharing yeah,
1: yeah. absolutely and um, you know if we're talking Uh, within Canada I guess um, I I can't sell Vancouver short I think it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world uh, modern cities in the world and Mm -hmm. it's just an absolutely amazing city from that perspective
0: what's your favorite building in the world
1: oh favorite building in the world oh let's see
0: Mm hmm that's a tough one. I'd actually come back to me on that one. I have to think of a the one. ones that the ones that jump to mind for me that I've been to are. Uh marina bay sands in singapore oh yeah fantastic nice. like, yeah it's just so cool you have to stay at the hotel to get on the rooftop pool which is kind of a shame because you really want to go spend a day there drinking yeah but yeah, <laughs> i wasn't going to spend 700 on a room yeah but to see it to be on it plus it got that whole like urban park with all those tree like Absolutely. massive tree buildings yeah. so yeah. that was really cool um and then i was also uh just over a year ago i was in china and i went to shanghai I forget the name of the building but it's the tall one in shanghai um the uh with the with the sphere at the at the top or nope, no that one's actually not that tall compared yeah. to the rest of okay. them this was the skyscraper beside it it's like the second or third tallest building in the world oh, okay and yeah. it's like 80 80 stories or something oh, okay. maybe in, in shanghai yeah. yeah i can't remember i wouldn't know the name yeah. you you look out at that one with the ball yeah. very nicely colored and then you also look out at the one that's got the massive hole in it oh yeah yeah um, yeah but, uh, yeah, that one was incredible. Like, yeah. you go up the elevator, and it's a high-speed one, and you're in it still for, like, three minutes, and you feel the pressure change, like, three times as you're yeah. going up. Amazing. Yeah, so those yeah. are pretty fun. But yeah,
1: the Burj Khalifa, and, I mean, Dubai would be an amazing place. I haven't gone yet as well, but mm-hmm. Dubai would be an amazing place to see from a development yeah. perspective, too. Well,
0: yeah, those guys are so progressive thinking. Yeah and like yeah that's there that would be a good place to go and and attend a conference absolutely what great ideas can we bring home absolutely
1: all the buildings are empty but are they (laughs) yeah the majority of them are yeah
0: absolutely so all right it could be an amazing experience though to, to see that for sure cool well emmett thanks man i really appreciate it this has been a fun chat yeah thanks for having me and uh you know tons of useful insightful stuff here for uh for the listeners so um I'll, uh, I'll make sure I link to all your, your company stuff in the episode notes and uh, Appreciate it. keep on doing what you're doing, then. Thanks a lot. All right, see ya. Okay, you. man, take care. Hey, everyone. One final thank you to the fine folks at the Alberta Podcast Network, which I'm proud to be a part of. The network is growing and adding great content all the time. So check out the list of podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Also, make sure to check out MacMail's Speaking Municipally. It's a great way to keep up with the city of Edmonton in a much more focused and distilled way than I offer with my eclectic thoughts on this podcast about the city. So thanks everyone for listening and I'll catch you next week for a very special guest that is going to blow you all away. That's all I'll say for now. See ya.